it just went live. It should be on Facebook, should be on YouTube. Yes, it just went live. So to those of you that are online, we, we will be monitoring the chat. So if you have questions, you are welcome for those to enter into our discourse tonight. And I realize there may be more of you online than normal, given that it is Labor Day weekend and we understand that. Um, let me remind everybody the purpose of these three sessions is to make sure two things. Number one, that your questions and your insights into what we are considering are taken into account. And I'll review with you again how very thorough our process is, and it is extremely thorough, but we still could have missed something. The second reason is, is because there are those of you that just simply need the space where we're not as rushed, it's not inside the confines of a business meeting to ask questions, not questions that you're necessarily even contesting what we're considering, but rather you just have questions to understand. Uh, I appreciated the message this morning. We are not a church in which you are asked to check your brain at the door. In fact, I think if anything were the opposite, you're going to have trouble if you check your brain at the door. Um, we're asking you to stay engaged. We're asking you to ask questions. We're asking you to be contemplative and reflective and think about things. And very much that's very important in this transition where we are looking at a name change, we are looking at a structure change, and then within that structure change, you're looking at a change in pastoral leadership. So those are three very um, consequential and important transitions. Um, and so I felt that even though in the end we will all be sick and tired of this by the time we're done, I understand that. I think we need to err on the side of having thoroughly vetted it, made sure all of our questions have been able to have been asked and answered, than to err on the side of moving too fast and being able to look back at it and go, man, I wish I'd have had more time to consider, more time to think, etc. All right? Um, the last time we did this with you was actually three months ago. Uh, our friend, Dr. Eugene Wilson, was in town. I asked him how he felt the first vetting session went. He went, you went very detailed, more detailed than I would have wanted. And I smiled and I said, well, yes, sir. That's why I'm also Dr. Beardsley. I said, but also this congregation has been used to that style of leadership for a lot of years. And uh, while I'm not saying you all are excited by my style of leadership, I do think you're probably used to it. Um, and so I'd rather, again, err on the side of being very thorough than to rush something as consequential as this. All right? So to clarify, tonight we are only looking, only, we're looking just at Article 3. Okay, we've already vetted the preamble and Articles 1 and 2. Now, remember our process. This set of bylaws and this set of Articles of Incorporation that we are proposing to you with a new name, Jacob's Well, this is built upon our preceding current set of bylaws and Articles of Incorporation. There are huge sections that are not changed at all. We've only changed where there needs to be an update in language 
And the second is, is that we've changed where there's actually been a structural change. So that's the first thing, is that we are not building these out of whole cloth. Second thing is, is that the whole pastoral team, myself and Regina included, and the Lugos included. So the team of nine, the largest pastoral team that all of you have been used to, all of us are who drafted the first draft of these. So that's a whole process and nine different people, and I can affirm to you that not a one of us see eye to eye. So there was, there was absolutely a, a, a good tension in, in questioning and asking and pushing on things. Third, this has already been, our Articles of Incorporation and our bylaws have been completely reviewed by a United Pentecostal Church lawyer, not in the state of Delaware, but familiar with church law and has looked at it in general legal principles, is there a problem? And that lawyer came back to us, by the way, it was by recommendation of the general superintendent, David K. Bernard, that we went to this lawyer. I did not know him. His name is J.J. Vincent. I did not know him before this, but at Brother Bernard's recommendation, we went to him, and he asked questions, kind of as an objective viewer looking at it. He asked questions, testing it, asking how is this handled, how is this responded to and basically said, no, you have a legally viable structure here from general legal principles. Fourth, I think, if I get confused on how many steps, forgive me. Fourth, it then, as we do each of these three iterations, it is reviewed and questions are asked, suggestions are made, and amendations have been made by our ministry team coordinator. So that's a level of leadership looking at it from another angle. Fifth, it has also been reviewed by the advisory board. So another six representatives of you have all looked through this, and some of you are sitting here tonight. And so to those of you that are either ministry team coordinators or advisory board members, my apologies, try to stay awake tonight, but I realize if you nod off a little bit because you've been looking at this document for a little while, all right? So then the final step is to then review it with the congregation and also... Once we have, in October, I will also be taking our documentation to another lawyer who practices in the state of Delaware, and they will be reviewed for compliance, not with general legal principles, because we've already vetted that, but to make sure that we don't have any provisions of the law in Delaware in particular that we're in any way weak or in violation of. So by the time we get done with this process... At the, at, on December 11th, and everybody please note that our final path forward is not going to be December 4th. There was a conflict with regard to small groups and that, so we had to adjust. So on December 11th will be our giving service, then we'll have our potluck, and then while you're all full tummies and ready to go to sleep, we'll come back and do the final vetting session. <laughs> luckily, luckily the last vetting session is dealing with a lot of boilerplate stuff, so it I'm not as worried about that because it really is legal boilerplate. How do you amend a constitution? Well, that's not different from constitution to constitution. That's generally the same. So we'll do that on December 11th. So by the time December 11th is closed, we will have these bylaws that are based upon our original bylaws that we're operating under now, changed based upon either name or structure, vetted through two different lawyers, 
two different leadership teams, meaning the ministry team coordinators and the advisory board, and through all of you. So my goal is, is that by the time we hit the annual business meeting the first Sunday in March, we will have thoroughly vetted and have asked all of our questions. And then that leaves us a period of consideration and discernment and prayer. And then we will make the decision one way or the other on March. I've affirmed to every team member, whether it be ministry team quarter or advisory board member, that when they ask questions and they involve themselves in the vetting process, this does not imply that they're going to vote one way or the other. Your vote in March will be secret ballot. You can vote it up, you can vote it down. But it seems to me, whether it be the name change, whether it be structural change, and whether it be then who is to succeed me as pastor, that in all of these three very important decisions, you being fully informed is the better place. So that's the purpose. So those of you that are online, thank you for being with us. Those of you that are in person, thank you for being with us. And uh, I'm glad that you're here. All right. What we vetted last time was main changes there was you had, we tightened up that our membership obligations align with our discipleship process. You want it summarized. That's what we really, that's really the only changes other than the name. Okay, so the name's in front of you, and then the major substantial changes where we aligned the language of our membership obligations, we aligned those to our discipleship process. So you see the language of worship, learn, serve, play in there, and you see the working out of those details, all right? Tonight, Article 3 is all about officers, this is where the substantial change is made with regard to instead of one pastor, you are considering a team of pastors. Everything else in this section, whether it be a trustee board, whether it be an advisory board, whether it be a secretary or a treasurer, it's all the same. It's reorganized, everything flows very neatly, everything is in its own capsules, but we haven't changed the advisory board structure. We haven't changed the board of trustee structure. We haven't changed any of those things. What has changed is just instead of language that's tied to a single pastor, it's now language of a team of pastors. How does that operate? How does that interface with the advisory board? So, for example, how it interfaces with the advisory board is rather than overwhelm the advisory board with all of those 3 to 11 team members all having a vote on the advisory board. That kind of defeat the purpose, wouldn't it? You'd very quickly overwhelm the point of the advisory board. Instead, the pastoral team will be represented by one designee chosen by the team. So one of their members will stand in that place, and in that given term, set by them, it could be one year, it could be, it could be every quarter, but I, I really doubt they're going to do that. I would hope not. That'd be, a little, that'd be a little clunky to keep changing that way. But one year, two year, could even be a, a three or four year term, okay? That's up to them to determine that. That then one person represents their interests, their thoughts, their opinions, and serves as the chairperson of the board, serves as the president of the corporation, 
serves as the representative to the United Pentecostal Church, etc., for the, the duration of their term. They don't leave the pastoral team, the senior pastoral team. They don't leave any of that. They just represent that whole team in those capacities where for functions purpose, we really only need one person, okay? So it's those kinds of modifications that we made. The obligations, the duties, the responsibilities of the senior pastoral team are the same as what I have as the single pastor. So it really is an honest statement to all of you to say what you're considering is having one replaced with a team. Now, the mechanics, the details of how that works out, that's Article 3. Okay? That's Article 3. So rather than going into more details, and I can intersperse them throughout, I'd rather now kind of open the floor any questions, anything that's not clear to you, that you be able to ask it, okay? And I understand that this is a little nerve-wracking. Some of you are more quiet. You don't want to hear it in the microphone. But if you don't speak it into the microphone, then those that are online can't hear that question. And then we have a problem of being able to make sure that it's, that it's clear. So I am going to ask you if you're going to ask the question or if you get your surrogate to ask it for you. Um, like Sister Susan, you maybe get Sister Diane to ask because she doesn't have any problem speaking. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but that we use the microphone because it's for, it's for deference to our brothers and sisters that are also online that they also can hear it. And uh, there may be, even be some due to Labor Day that may go back and watch this at a later point, and that's perfectly fine as well. Um, but any questions that are, that, are, that are front and center for you uh, let's see how many of the things that I kind of know I want to highlight to you and I want you aware of are, are generated by you asking the question. So, uh, just Article 3. What is left after Article 3 is actually a bunch of articles and the Articles of Incorporation, but when you read them, you'll find out real quick they're boilerplate. Like, they are just straight-up legalese, all right? And they're the same with the exception of one or two spots, which I'll point out to you next time. Uh, they're the same as what we've been operating under for 30 years. So I think we can handle and vet those very well. The substantial changes were in membership obligations, and there it was more language than it was actual content. You know, what words we used. And then this. This tonight is the substantial change. This is... This is what's got all of your attention, obviously. First of all, me stepping down, that got your attention. But then me being succeeded not by one single person but by a team, that is the major change. That's the bottom line. That's the major change that's under consideration. All right, so questions? Does anybody have any? And you know I know how to be quiet. Yes, Sister Diane, let me get back to you real quick for the sake of our Online viewers and those that will be hearing it afterwards. See, I told you she'd have a question. <laughs> um, I like to ask, um, when you were on the advisory board, when I served, you had um, the um, ministers, they could come in and sit and be a part of it, but they couldn't generally speak like we would do around the table, like Brother Beersley, sometime maybe Brother Moss would come and different ones. Is that format still going to be the same? Excellent question. So, 
Let me, and this is the part where my good friend Eugene would probably say, Steve, just answer the question. Don't cite the chapter and verse. Well, I'm going to cite the chapter and verse, all right? So you, you, all, you all hang with me on that because I want to be very careful and very thorough in my answers. So the question is, is in the composition of the advisory board, how, how does that operate? And we already, we had provision um, in our current set of bylaws that anyone who holds ministerial license with the United Pentecostal Church has voice, so they actually, it's a little different than Sister Diane described, they actually can speak in the meetings, but they do not have vote. And so that provision is still there, all right? If you look at Article 3, uh, Section 7, um, Subsection 5, ministerial members of the assembly licensed with the United Pentecostal Church International who are not elected members of the advisory board are ex-officio members of the board with voice but no vote. And so you notice that that covers even the members of the senior pastoral team who are not the designated representative. Because in order to be on the senior pastoral team, you may have looked at the eligibility, you must hold license, local, general, or ordination with the United Pentecostal Church International. And that is very intentional. Currently, you cannot pastor Newark United Pentecostal Church, in fact, never could, unless you held license with the United Pentecostal Church International. We're not changing that. One of the things our movement, I say this for virtue of, of anyone else who watches this who might not be from us. One of the things that happens is that within our movement, we're a little neurotic. Yes, I said that. We're a little neurotic. And what we're neurotic about is anytime anybody changes their name and anytime anybody changes their bylaws, everybody starts looking for that church to leave. Leave the organization leave the doctrine, leave the lifestyle. Senior pastoral team and I are all smart enough to know that that is going to run through the airwaves. So I challenge anyone who's still listening. Now, if you've just tuned out and assumed, well, you're just going to have to tune back in five years from now and figure out that it didn't happen. Okay? But for those of you that are still listening, you tell me how we're leaving the United Pentecostal Church if all members of the senior pastoral team must have license with the United Pentecostal Church International in order to serve in that capacity. We're not. The point is, is we're not. So it means that whether you are not on the senior pastoral team, whether you are on the senior pastoral team, it doesn't matter. If you hold license with the United Pentecostal Church International, you will have the right to attend and voice, but not vote, on the advisory board. And that is maintained from, as you referred to, Sister Diane, our past structure. The one designated member of the senior pastoral team, whether that year, two-year, three-year term, five-year term, whatever the team determines, that person will exercise the single vote that normally is being exercised by the single pastor as chairman of the board, chairperson of the board. So yes, the short answer is yes, voice but no vote. We felt that that balance has been able to be had. In other words, to the advisory board, 
even though I've grown the number of ministers, it has not overwhelmed the voice of the advisory board, partly because, number one, the advisory board has the vote. And number two, the ministry does not want to supersede the role and responsibility of the advisory board. So they cooperate, and that has been the story. You notice Sister Diane didn't say, I really hated when they showed up. No, it's not that. It's rather that that ministry serves as a resource then to the advisory board in carrying out their function of financial accountability and of policy. So we've maintained that, and I would expect that to grow. So you could have an advisory board meeting. You could have 20 people there in the future. You could have 20 people there. But only six are going to have vote as members of the church, and one pastoral licensed member will have vote with them. All others have voice, but no vote. And it will become the responsibility of that chairperson to make sure, it's interesting that you referred to my dad and then to myself, it will be up to that chairperson to make sure that that ministry stays in its proper posture and place, that they do not for lack of a better term, shout down or over-talk the voice of the advisory board. Those of you that have served on the advisory board, I've always told you, if you try to take over and get out of your pocket in running the church, you'll destroy the church. Vice versa, if we as ministry leaders do not maintain the voice of the cooperative of the, of the representatives of the congregation in the advisory board, we also will destroy the church. But the bottom line is that is already ensconced within the bylaws, and in fact, it's basically the same as what it was, what it is now. So nothing has changed there. I took the opportunity, though, to point out to you, notice, that every member of the senior pastoral team must have license with the United Pentecostal Church. Okay? Pastoral team, like I built, does not have to have license but they're not gonna have the same role. They're not officers, they're not voted in. They, they operate under the authority of the senior pastoral team, just as the pastoral team operates under my authority currently as the senior pastor. So again, one's being replaced by a team. Everything else is kind of flowing out the way that it is now. Other questions? One thing that I will, as you are deliberating and thinking, and Joyce, just interrupt me if anybody online asks a question. Um, in naming the officers, section one, that, by the way, is naming the ones we can see that need to operate right now. You can name other officers if need be. If you are comparing, I know most of you probably aren't, I really doubt you brought out the current set of bylaws and sat them next to the proposed set of bylaws and went, okay, what changed? But if you would look at our current set of bylaws, you would see a structure of a pastor, then you would see the structure of an associate pastor as an officer. The point of that, I saw your hand, Brother Brown, I'll come right to you. The point of that was so that there, it really was already a move and an acknowledgement that one single person can't effectively pastor a church as it continues to grow. 
but it's a different structure. You have a single senior pastor, and then you have associate pastors, people underneath. The reason that doesn't currently exist in these set of bylaws is because we have basically multiplied that pastoral team structure, not by a hierarchy, but rather by a team of equals, the senior pastoral team. So we didn't see a need to name associate pastors. Now, could in the future that change? Sure. And you know what you do? You amend the bylaws. It's very simple, and it's provided for. And one of the keys to understand is an officer, I want to emphasize this to everybody, an officer as opposed to any other leader that can be appointed by the authority of a pastor or a pastoral team, an officer is elected by the church. The authority is in your hands. They're also fired by the church. And this does not have to do with whether they're paid or not paid. It's their office. It is in your hands. It's in your authority. So if you vote this through, you will have to vote on every single person that I initially proposed to you for consideration to be members of the senior pastoral team. And you will not vote on them as a block. You will vote on them individually. Secret ballot. And you will determine, yes, we want them to serve in that capacity. And it will only be them resigning or you firing that then removes them. The authority is in your hands. It is not in the hands of the senior pastoral team, just as it's not in my hands. That's why I used to joke with my dad when I got voted in four years after serving, came back in 1996, began to serve in 2000. As associate pastor, I used to joke with my dad, you can't fire me anymore because the church hired me. Of course, he was a little bit of a thug and said, yeah, you try me, boy. <laughs> I never tried him, but anyway. Okay, Brother Brian, question. Um, so the um, number four to secretary treasurer, um, could you explain that a little bit? The role? Nominated by the senior pastoral team. So is that nominating a church member body? Yes. Member of the body for secretary? Yes. So first of all, secretary treasurer, let's talk about the role itself. It can either be fulfilled by one person or it can be fulfilled by two people. Currently, let's do a little trivia. Who's your secretary? Does anybody know? It's an illustrious job. See, that's why everybody's so excited. Who's the secretary? That's right. Sister Leela Cooper serves. She is executive pastor under me. She's a hired, paid employee of the church, but she actually operates as that officer because as XP, she's not an officer. And you may remember I told you I will not make her an officer because I don't want you to have the right to either hire her or fire her. I want to fire her. No, <laughs> now, I haven't fired her yet, obviously, you can tell that, and I probably won't between now and March. Although, <laughs> no, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. A little humor, keep you all awake. Um, so, but as an, she is an officer because you each year have voted for her to be secretary. What's the role of the secretary? Secretary is responsible for maintaining the documentation of the church. It's mainly minutes. Okay, minutes of board meetings, minutes of advisory, of, of advisory board meetings, minutes of, of uh, annual business meetings, etc. Okay, treasurer. Who's your current treasurer? Nope. That's right. Roy Moss is currently your treasurer. That is correct. Okay. Brother Moss absolutely is an elder, has served, has pastored. He's got all kinds of hats, okay? But currently, his only officer position within the church 
is as treasurer. Okay? So in both of these cases, and the treasurer's responsibility is oversight of the financial structure. If Leela's in charge of paper, Roy's in charge of money. Okay? That's the simplest way to boil that down. Now, there's more details to it. It doesn't mean that Leela has to take the minutes. It means she's responsible to maintain that our records are maintained. Could be somebody else that's helping with that. But she's responsible. She answers for it. Does not mean that Brother Moss has to do all of the finances. In fact, he doesn't. There's various members that are involved with that. But he is ultimately responsible and answers to you in that responsibility. So the bylaws provide, current and the new ones, provide that that can be fulfilled by one or two people. And that's a normal thing. Secretary Treasurer sometimes is one person. No, let me come to that. So that's, and that's, you asked that and I'm coming to that. So the preference, you ready for this? The preference is, is if we can have a non-pastoral team member serve as secretary and as treasurer, that is preferred because it diversifies the oversight. Now, there is nothing within the bylaws that precludes an officer, by another measure, from serving in this officer position of secretary or of treasurer. But our preference, I'll tell you that straight up, and I will tell you that it's the team's preference as well. We want to grow to the place and move to the place that one of you is actually serving in that official capacity as secretary, and one of you is serving in that official capacity as treasurer, or one person serving both roles. And the reason is, is because that then creates greater accountability. It is not essential for that to be a pastoral team member to do that. Okay? Now, did I answer all the question or is there a little bit more to it? So that brings up one more thing. Um, so uh, what would the qualifications be for a member of the body to serve as a treasury or the type of treasury? Aptitude for financial systems and structures. It's as simple as that. It's... It's, it's, you have to fulfill the obligations of being able to be an officer. So if you're not a licensed minister of the United Pentecostal Church, which is the qualifications for senior pastor, then you have to have at least been a, a, a member in good standing for one year. But then the, the aptitude beyond it is really about gifting. It's simply like, honestly, Leela would love for me to stop making her secretary as soon as, because she hates doing minutes. Some of you actually like details like that, okay? That you're looking for giftings there. Again, the treasure, particularly with our church, with its history, okay? We're not new. We've been around for a while. We have property. We have all. There are systems in place. The ability of the person to come in and to serve an oversight of that system so that they're able to hold accountable the various teams that operate. Because receipts and disbursements, you remember, are separated, so overseeing the system becomes much more important to that. Does that answer your question? I heard a rumble over here. Did That's correct. In both of these, confidentiality is extremely important because you're dealing with um, private matters. So absolutely, thank you for that, for that input there. Uh, 
Did I sufficiently answer that up till now? And I may circle back around and touch on something related to there, but thank you for that question. Joyce, did you have an online question? So all the senior... Okay. No problem. So all the senior pastors will be equal, or will there be a leader within the senior pastors? So this is the part that my peers are looking at me, those who know what I'm doing, those who know what I'm proposing to you, are looking at me askance. The idea of a team, all right, Steve, you might be pushing that to the edge, but the idea of a team that does not have a named leader, everybody's looking at that and going, that doesn't make any sense. To which I simply say, our master told us some things about leadership and about serving that don't make any sense either. Greatest servant. First, last. And the best model that I can find of this being implemented is in the earliest days of the church, first in the church in Antioch, and then subsequently in all of the churches established by a son of Antioch, namely the Apostle Paul. I've spent a fair amount of time studying Paul. He is not a wallflower. Paul is a huge personality. This is a guy that when he was a young man, ignored his Dr. Vater, his PhD dissertation advisor, Gamaliel, one of the most famous rabbis of that era, went around him and through connections to the high priest, got letters of permission to go and do the exact opposite of what Gamaliel told him he should do. Gamaliel said, leave them alone. If they're of God, you'll find yourself fighting against God. And if they're not of God, they'll go away. He went around Gamaliel, got letters, and proceeded to imprison and perhaps even kill believers of the way. Not a shrinking wallflower. A dominant personality. This is a man who we find in Galatians who says when Peter got out of line, he withstood him to the face because, for no other reason than, he was wrong. Yet the model that we find him being raised under in Antioch names a team and there is no discernible leader. Go read Acts 13 again. No discernible leader. They simply work together. I'm going to answer the question, why I think there's no discernible leader. There is a discernible leader. It's just not human. And I would argue, and I say this again, not as much for you all's benefit, even online, but those that later may watch this, I would argue that most of our problems within the church is when humans exercise authority that was designed only for God. So why would we set up a structure that then asks for that to happen? You're begging for a problem. 
I'm not saying I've been perfect in it. But you should thank your lucky stars that I haven't been a worse pastor because you gave me more authority than I probably should have had. Thank God I didn't exercise it improperly. So Paul's churches, you go and you find, you cannot find discernible leaders among those elders. Case in point, at the end of his ministry, he's headed back to Jerusalem. He calls the elders of the church at Ephesus, very powerful church, church that was on revival, church that was huge, church that was shaking the, the, the foundations of that city. He calls them to meet him at Miletus, and there in the port, Leela and I have actually, a couple others have actually stood right there, as best that archaeology tells us. We have stood. Yeah, Dad, you were with me as well. I forgot about that. Um, we stood right in that port, probably within... 100 feet of where he would have stood, unless our archaeology is wrong. And he called these elders to him. He never names a single leading elder. He speaks all of his words to these elders, a group, a body of leaders, and says, feed the flock of God, guard the flock of God. There's going to be wolves that come in among you. Teach them, preach to them. He speaks all of this to this leadership with no discernible leader of the leaders. So you all know that I'm crazy. You all know that if it says it in the word, then that's the way we should go. I don't add to and I don't take away. I'm kind of nutty that way, even when it makes no sense. Because the last time I checked, the scriptures and the God who is revealing himself through those scriptures said, I am nutty because I don't operate the way you operate and I don't think the way you think. So the simple answer is no, there is no discernible leader. Now, the argument has been made, trust me, over the last several years to me. Steve, the cream is going to rise to the top. Personality and strengths are going to cause somebody to rise to the top. Okay, let's take Paul as the example. I would argue there's not a single one of us, including myself, who by personality and dominance of that personality would be stronger as a leader than Paul. So if he could do it, so can we. What does it require? It means you don't, you don't exercise your gifts to the detriment of the team. You exercise mutual submission. Submit yourselves, he said to the Ephesians. The same church that he met with the elders. He said, submit yourselves one to another because of your deference, your respect for Christ. Because our leader really should be the single head, namely Jesus Christ. So the answer to the question is no. I'm being radical. There's no leader of the team. They don't have to agree on everything. But if they reach a point where they're at deadlock, it means they don't have consensus and they don't make a move until they figure that out, until the spirit breaks that. It's kind of like a marriage. Last time I, because a lot of people told me that too. Well, you better make sure it's an odd number so they can outvote one another. And I'm like, no, I don't think you need to. Because last time I checked, my wife and I don't have a third party, so there's always an odd vote in our marriage. That'd kind of mess things up, wouldn't it? She and I, when we can't come to consensus, guess what we do? We wait on the Spirit of God to bring clarity, usually to both of us. 
It's not usually one of us has got it and the other one's wrong. No, it's clarity to both of us. Same thing with the team. Was there a follow-up question to that? Um, from a different person. Okay. If there were a leader in the pastoral team, would that negate the team and then have one pastor with assistant team of pastors? Whoever said that, that's exactly right. And effectively, that is what you currently have now. You have one leader, you have one pastor, me, and a team working underneath of me. And I'll be honest with you, that's the way I thought I was supposed to be doing it initially. <laughs> but when you're obedient to God, he tends to know where he's going even when you don't. And so what happens is, I see you, Scott. So what happens is, is over time, I realize, no, that even needs to break. That even needs to change. And so there's a few things, legal and fiduciary, that I still have to, until we change the bylaws, I have to continue to operate in that role. There are certain things where it's my word. Leela said it one time to the team. She says, look, we've got to face it until March comes and until the bylaws change. There are certain things, Steve's word is the end of it. But I am trying where I at all possibly can that I'm already not operating that way but I have reduced myself, backed up, not just because I'm leaving, but because I think it's the way it needs to go so that we work by consensus, we work together, we work as a team. I am not prepared to say that churches are in violation of the word of God if they are structured that way. That's not what I'm saying, at least not yet. That's not a threat. That's just simply, I do not feel, that's not my place. I just feel here that we would be in closer conformity to what we see in the scripture of mutual submission of the members one to another at all levels of the body. And by levels, I'm talking about responsibility, not authority and not, not um, importance. So that is a reason why I don't think that that's the way it's to go. And if one person's giftings, talents, personalities lead them to begin to take that role, they need to humble themselves, not silence their gift or their talent, but humble themselves so that it does not subvert the team. Contribute who they are, but don't take over. All right, Scott, do I have to run up the stairs to you? All right, you're going to yell real clear to me, and then I'm going to repeat your question. Excellent question. So current structure is there. I'm going to say it. That's what I'm doing. Current structure. This is what he said. Brother Scott said this. Current structure is, is that there are certain decisions that the church, by the bylaws, has given over to the single pastor, namely myself at this point, to make the decision. And unless I dither in my own head, there's no deadlock. In the new model, those same responsibilities will go to the pastoral team. And so first of all, I want to say to Scott, you have that exactly right. You must have a 
degree in business or something that you can follow all of what I'm doing. So yeah, there must be something going on there because you have that exactly right. You live in my world a little bit more than everybody else does. Okay, so you have that spot on. One is being replaced by a team. But with a team, it can deadlock. Okay, they could not be in agreement. Now remember, they don't need to be unanimous. And that's why a larger team is better. Okay, minimum is three, but we really don't want to be at three. And by the way, who's it going to be? Come on, peoples. I'm not going to name names because I want you to think about the structure. But you know what the pastoral team of nine was. You know where four of them are. Two are in Vanuatu and two, Regina and I, are leaving. Four away from nine leaves you... Okay, I'm playing with you, but I'm not. It's not hard to know what I'm going to propose to you, okay? So that team of five, there could be a vote of something that's four to one, and that one, while they disagree, says we move ahead. We're not talking about 100%. But what if it deadlocks? What if it deadlocks because one is abstaining and two is this and two is that? Okay, what if it deadlocks? What if it gets to six or it gets to eight and it deadlocks? You painted, Scott, the two scenarios. One scenario is, is depending upon how quickly it needs to be dealt with. One is, is the team could look at it and say, we need to sit on this. We need to pray more about this. We need to not take action until clarity has come. It doesn't need to go to the congregation yet because there's, there's not an impetus. We don't have to move on this. We felt we wanted to do on this, but we don't have clarity yet. So let's let the Lord bring clarity. And they're patient. A little maxim from this church from its founder, make time your friend. But what if it's something that actually is pressing? It's a legal action. If it's a financial action, something like that, you put your finger right on it. And I want all of you to hear this. The ultimate authority within the church lies with the members. Even the officers operate on behalf of the members. Now, let me do an, a, a, an excursus here, a, a sidebar conversation, quickly and succinctly. Preachers bristle at that. And the reason they bristle at that is because we know that our calling does not come from humans, it comes from God. But we're mixing up calling and structure. If you want to say that you work for God and you do not work for people, you have to leave this country. You cannot serve a church in this country. Because our government, whom Jesus said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, only acknowledges two forms of church governance. Hierarchical, which means you're answering to somebody above you, ultimately to a papa, to a pope, or to a patriarch. Or you have a congregational model, which means that the ultimate authority lies with the members of the congregation. Now, we are a Protestant movement, a Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, or Catholic organization. We do not like hierarchy. You talk about preachers being, preachers are bad saints because they hate hierarchy so much. They don't even behave themselves the way that we expect you to behave. I'm calling you out on it, boys, okay? You, you know, and I say boys because it's, it's usually the men that have the problem. Women are much better at it. 
So we're being a little hypocritical when we pull that card out for one thing, but then don't apply it across the board. So I'm very comfortable. My calling, let me give you an example. My calling from God is what's determining that I will not be pastor of this church much longer. You don't have any say over that. That's me and God. That's my calling. But what structure I operate within, that God shows great flexibility in operating among humans. He's had all kinds of forms of governance, etc. And so something that has a time pressure on it, Scott, the answer would be yes. You bring it to the congregation and you present both sides or multiple sides of whatever the issue is and leave it to the congregation to decide. Team can make its recommendation even. Team can speak strongly from different vantage points and then leave it there. But most of the decisions, having been pastor for 26 years in one capacity or another, most of the decisions, they are not as time sensitive. So you sit on them, you pray, and you let God work through you, bring greater clarity to you. You notice in Acts 13, that team feels for Barnabas and Saul to go and plan a mission. What do they do? They pray. They felt it in prayer, but what did they do? They went and prayed some more. They made sure that it was with the Spirit. It wasn't just their own, you know, they had peanut butter that night before or something like that. They, they made sure that they were discerning the will of the Spirit, and then they sent them forth. So I think it's the same thing. And honestly, folks, if this doesn't work, It'll blow the whole team thing up, and you want it to blow it all up because then you'll just rewrite your bylaws and say, Steve had a crazy idea, and now we're going back to the traditional way. Or you just say, actually, we like this method, but we're just getting rid of all of these yokels that we had, and we're getting new ones. <laughs> I mean, you've got several options here, just like you would unfortunately have to do if I went bad. Okay? If I was a bad pastor, I mean, it wouldn't be comfortable and it'd be hard, but you get rid of me. You don't let the mission go down. Answer your question? Okay, answer Scott's question. Question here? Not to put you on the spot, but uh, has there ever been a question or a situation that arose in your ministry as a single pastor that you had difficulty making a decision that you sat on or you know, had to deal with? Okay, so first of all, absolutely. There is, there is a, there's always seasons of discernment. And the greater the importance, the longer and more careful you are with the discernment. Second, and this is where we're not really being honest, this is where we all reach out to one another. In other words, we do a team structure anyway. We're calling our friends around the country saying, what would you do with this? Would you be in prayer with me about this? Second, I have never pastored here without at least one or two other ministers that were in the church working with me, and I would counsel with them. Now, ultimately, yes, I would make the decision, but it would give me that discernment process. It would make me pause and go, hmm, I haven't thought about that. Maybe I need to think that more thoroughly through. All we're doing is structuring it and saying that's how we're going to do it, as opposed to it happening, but not specified. Did that answer the tenor of your question? Okay. Um, 
I know we're talking about the, the basic foundation of the bylaws, but with this March's application of the bylaws, if the church votes it through to be changed, how will that work in this year's business meetings? Okay, so this is jumping a little bit ahead, but it's, it's fine because I, at some point I want to tell you this. Here's how the business meeting will go. We will have thoroughly vetted these bylaws. We will have done everything we can. We will put a shine on them, and we'll pray. When we come into the business meeting, we will handle our financial report. But I'll be honest with you, you all are probably going to pay very little attention to that financial report. <laughs> I need you to pay attention to it, but you're going to be distracted because you're going to want to be getting to what it's really about. Okay, so let's acknowledge that. So we will do the financial report. We will handle everything there so that we have accountability for year 2022. Everything's taken care of. Then we will vote on the name change, secret ballot, and I am going to separate it. And that'll be a little weird, but the reason I want to separate it is, as I've stated before, if I don't separate it, it could get voted down, and the people who are voting down just don't like the name change, but they don't have a problem with the structure change. So I'm actually going to artificially have you vote name change first, then bylaws second, even though effectively when you vote on the bylaws, that would have covered the name change. But I'm going to separate the two. So you'll have two votes. If, that, if they are voted through, now if they are not voted through, you will fulfill the other officers, which will be two advisory board members, the secretary and the treasurer, and will close the meeting. I will still be the pastor, and I will have to go figure out what I'm going to do. I will not make a decision on the spot. I won't rush us. Effectively, it means that i got to bring back to you one pastor to replace me because, as I've said to you, I cannot continue pastoring here because God has said my time is drawing to a close. But let's assume in the scenario of the question that it passes. The very next thing that will happen is, is I will read to you my letter of resignation. That letter of resignation will be effective March 31st. You'll be voting March 5th. That letter of resignation precipitates the need for my replacement. Until I've resigned, you don't need to replace me. So when I resign, now you need to replace me. Effective March 31st. And then I will bring each of the names to you in my capacity as the resigning senior officer, as the resigning president, as the resigning CEO, fill in the blank of whichever ones you want to use of that, okay? I will bring those names to you. You will vote secret ballot. And then that will put in order that we will have acted upon the Articles of Incorporation and the bylaws. That week, our Delaware lawyer will take them to the state and lodge them. They will be signed by the, by the advisory board, excuse me, the board of trustees. And I, between March 5th and March 31st, will do the actions that cannot be taken until you have put a new set of bylaws into action, these that we're considering, and have elected new officers. 
Now I can hand over banking. I can hand over uh, insurance. Some of the things that I can't do right now, I can't even under my aegis, they're, they're mine. They are fiduciarily and legally my responsibility until I am no longer responsible. So I have a window there between March 5th and March 31st to transition it out. I don't know if I answered the question there. Did I answer your question? Okay. So that's what will happen. All right. Any more questions from online? Okay. While you all are contemplating what you have heard thus far, let me scan very quickly to make sure there isn't something I want to draw out to you. Um, Everybody understands nomination does not mean election. Again, I'm driving a point, but nomination does not mean an election. Lil, I think I turned the air off. Can you drop her down a degree? I'm a little warm, and I think others might be just a little bit. Sister Susan's hood is off, so that means that it's warmer in here. When the hood goes back up, we'll be back to proper temp. It's, it's, it's funny to me how a biker chick gets to be an older lady. It's really funny, the transition. <laughs> Love you, Sister Susan. We were talking about Granny D coming in, my, some of my girls trying to remember them, etc. They thought that you were somehow her sister or something. I said, no, it's her daughter. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so nomination, the process of nomination, yes, you still have nomination now being carried out by the senior pastoral team, just like it's done by me. But just like I cannot elect an officer, you have to elect the officer. Same going forward. You, the membership, has to do the election, the ratification of the nom nomination. Okay, and that's true across this document. There's a number of things that are, that are affected there. Trustee, advisory board, secretary, treasurer, we've covered all that. The election, all of these are by two-thirds, okay, so supermajority. So the election, the, the change of name has to be by two-thirds. The bylaws has to be by two-thirds. Any new officers, whether it be senior pastoral team members, whether it be secretary, secretary-treasurer, treasurer, and advisory board members, all of those have to be by two-thirds, okay? So if there's 100 voting, it has to be uh, 67, yay, has to be two-thirds or greater, all right? Um, there's strength in that. It's not a simple majority. And then everything else is really laying out the structure of each of them, the senior pastoral team, the board of trustees, the advisory board. It's laying out the structure, the duties, the responsibilities, and the authority. And most of that is the same, just modified for a team structure. I see another question in the back. That's why I do these little things in between. It gets you all thinking a little bit, and so it precipitates the questions. How many people have to show up? Ah, to the business meeting? Yes. Bylaws, our current bylaws state that those who show up define the quorum. So it's important for you to show up. That's correct. And that is not, um, that's standard for any organization or structure of an organization where the size could be very fluid. 
Because otherwise, then you can, if you have a defined body, in other words, Newark UPC is 100 members, it can be no more, it can be no less, then you can start stipulating a certain number or you don't have the quorum. So you have that with the Senate, you know, United States Senate or, or the House of Representatives, etc. But in, in membership organizations where you could have a very small congregation, well, that congregation still needs to transact this business. You could have a very large congregation, well, that congregation still needs to be able to transact this business. It's who shows up. This is why it's critically important. I hope you all, nobody's taking vacation on March 5th, right? <laughs> Nobody gets appendicitis on March 5th, okay? Just put in your request to God. Heal my body. There may be nothing wrong with me on March 5th. Okay. Nobody online either. You got to be here in person. Put your mask on if you're worried about it. You got to be here. Be here on March 5th, that first Sunday in March, because you're a part of that voting body. And the more that we are all here, the more it gives credence to that we have done this legitimately, that we've not pulled anything shady, and that we've done everything legitimately. Um, one thing I want to draw your attention to is in contrast to officers, because officers you have to vote on, right? Powers within the membership. In Article 3, Section 5, subsection F, it says the senior pastoral team may appoint other leaders, that is pastoral, administrative, and technical, at their discretion and determine their duties. That clause, it's rephrased for a team, but that clause is the same as what exists in our bylaws now, and it's the same way that I actually built our current pastoral team, none of whom because they're a member of the pastoral team, are officers. That's how you have ministry team coordinators that are leading groups of people in serving. They're not officers. Officers are who you vote on. You hire, you fire. Non-officers are leadership that allow the functioning of the church. So there's a balance there that part of the duty, the responsibility, and the authority of, right now, the senior pastor... In the future, the senior pastoral team will be to grow and appoint those leaders. And that's where, and I, don't, I wish we had a better language. So some of you get a little confused by this. Senior pastoral team, think of me, senior pastor. Draw an equal sign between the two. I'm senior pastor. I didn't take senior pastor so I could sound all highfalutin. I started being called senior pastor when I had other pastors. It's as simple as that. When I kept growing other pastors, besides my dad, because he was insistent he was never working for me. So, okay, fine. I'm not sure how good that is at mutual submission, but we'll cut the elder some slack on that one. Okay. All right. So once I had other pastors, that's when I became senior pastor, and then those pastors worked under my authority, delegated authority. And I had every right and responsibility to do so to grow the church. So draw an equal sign. That's the senior pastoral team is who's replacing me. So who's replacing the pastoral team? Some of them have moved up, or I'm going to propose that they move up the senior pastoral team. That's the growth of people who don't have to have license. They may, but they don't have to. And they will be a part of the growth and the future I have argued to the team, that's your prime spot to pull from as you continue to grow the senior pastoral team. It's people who have proven themselves on the pastoral team.
in my mind, not to box the team in, because I can't say what the teams, what you all are going to need in five years. But in my mind, ministry team coordinators are people who can organize people. Pastoral team members can organize people, and they keep coming back to their pastoral needs. When those instincts keep showing up where it's not just about getting you to do your job, Antoine, but I'm worried about your disciplines. It's not just that I, that, I, that, I, that I get you to do whatever team you're on and you fulfill your function, but I'm also concerned that your marriage is healthy. When those instincts show up, that is a pastor. By the way, can I share something very honest with you all? That's the toughest part of this season because I still have a heart of a pastor. I haven't left all of you. I still see you. But I have to be still in order to allow what God is bringing to, to pass, to grow. Pray for Regina and I. It's not fun. It's really hard. It's really hard. Don't feel bad for us because God is being faithful and we're doing what he's asked us to do. But we haven't abandoned you. And don't think that we're just like clicking our heels like, ooh, we're out of here. No, 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 no. This is hard. Because we still, we see every one of you. Even those of you that are new. Even those of you that don't know us as pastor. You understand how long we've pastored? We know how to pastor people. We instantaneously can sense your needs. But it's not our responsibility, Ralph. It's transitioning. Those people are the ones that you move into the pastoral team. They might still be a ministry team coordinator, but they begin to assist and work in that area. And it's those people that then, as they grow in their leadership and they have the ability to express vision, that's who you need in the senior pastoral team. Senior pastoral team members got to be able to run people, organize, got to be able to care for people, and got to be able to think big picture. Those are the things. Now be nice to the senior pastoral team because they're not going to think big picture the way I think big picture after 26 years. So be patient. Think back to when I first started pastoring. I didn't know quite what I was doing either. I grew. So will all of you. Okay? Any other questions? I'm kind of looking through the trustees advisory board. All of that is the same. Secretary, treasurer. Any more online? Okay, everybody's quiet there. By the way, I'm not bothered if you don't. Well, I am bothered because I want you all to totally tell me I've messed up. I'm totally missing something. It's not structured right. And yet, if you did that, I'd probably get miffed. So I'm neither happy. I'm, I'm, I'm not happy with silence, and I'm not happy with, you know, being told I didn't do my job right. But I'm going to assume that we've done our job right, that our vetting process has been thorough, and therefore everything's explainable, everything's understandable. All right? But hopefully, you know, I was telling somebody before service, I hope that we don't have a ton of questions in one sense because it means that we've, we've written it well. We're not trying to pick this apart. We're trying to make sure that it will serve us well. Sister Susan, you're supposed to, you're supposed to wave your hand at me because I didn't cover your question. <laughs> I'll come to it. Mom has a question here, and I'll come to it. Did I miss something? Or uh, I know the present pastoral team 
doesn't they don't have to be licensed licensed with the United Pentecostal Church in the new uh, pastoral team is it will be the same way or will they need to be licensed you did and didn't miss something so you missed the point that senior pastoral team members have to have license with the United Pentecostal Church that is their eligibility you read the section on eligibility you cannot serve as an a senior pastoral team member without having license with the United Pentecostal Church, period. Pastoral team, you do not have to have license. Doesn't mean you can't have it, but you don't have to have it. And that is really modeled off of our current structure because if you think about it, anybody on the pastoral team will be operating under the oversight and the authority of these officers that are the senior pastoral team. They have to be members of the church for at least one year in order to be an officer if they don't have license. But pastoral team members are not officers. They simply are assisting and working alongside of the, pastoral, the senior pastoral team. So what I envision is as this church grows, you have anywhere from 3 to 11. Now, once you get beyond 11, my vision is you, you're going to have to invent at that point, okay? Now you're, now you're at a whole nother level than what I've even dreamed of. Because for every senior pastoral team member, you could have, well, let's put it this way. I had eight. So I was the senior pastor, and I had eight people working with me. I could handle those eight. Ask them. I can handle those eight. So if you think about that, where if you've got 11 and underneath of every one of them is eight pastoral team members. <laughs> okay, you're at a whole other level of church that I don't even know how to pastor. And that'll be figured out under the unction of the Spirit of God. And underneath of them are all your ministry team coordinators. And underneath of them are sub-ministry. Okay, you see what I'm talking about. You can grow. You can have as many campuses as you need. You can really, really grow. I don't see the point of why that, that pastoral team has to have license. Because they're operating under the authority of a senior pastoral team. That senior pastoral team does have to have license. That's part of how we're saying we're a United Pentecostal Church, and it's part of where, how we're also vetting them because there's a whole host of responsibilities of vetting that occurs to be a licensed minister in the United Pentecostal Church. Did that answer your question? Okay. And like I said, folks, when you ask a question, you go, oh, yeah, I did hear that, but I didn't put it together. You don't live in this world, okay? This, this, these structures, these bylaws, all this kind of stuff, don't feel bad. This is not where you want to live. I don't even really want to live here, but unfortunately, I do live here more than I want to, okay? It's more familiar to me than it is to most of you, and that's why we're taking the time here to make sure that we've thoroughly vetted it and so forth. Did you have another question? Come on. Please define vetting process. It's what we're doing. Vetting is basically the process whereby questions are asked of something to make sure things are the way that they're supposed to be. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make sure that both by the processes that I've described, senior pastoral team, lawyers, ministry team coordinators, um, advisory board, and you all, we're asking all the questions. We're making sure that we have it vetted. So another question, and I haven't forgot your question either, Sister Susan. I'll come to that in a moment. 
Um, so this goes off, of, uh, I guess, a topic, but you just mentioned about, like, say we, um, um, a, a, a senior pastoral member branches out to another building, another facility. Is there any by law? Is, is, is there any laws, or how would that operate? Like, uh, they would uh, leave the senior pastoral team and, and go operate somewhere else. I do. I know what you're asking. According to our current structure, as long as they are operating inside of the structure of this church, there's no need to do anything. Um, let me give you an example. Now, this isn't an officer, but I think you can catch the... I have maintained to you, and I hope that the senior pastoral team will maintain it, and I hope that they will maintain it. I have maintained to you that Desi and Rachel Lugo are still members of our pastoral team. You don't get further away than Vanuatu. But we support them. They still, there are certain, for instance, we have a Zoom account that Desi uses to facilitate his children's homeschool. They still use Microsoft Office from us. There are things that we provide them support, and when we have big issues that are happening, I will call them in and say, hey, we need you on a Zoom call. We want your voice. It's a different voice because they're not here present, but it, we want that voice. So we start another church across town. Yes, I don't think it has to be separated. I think it can operate within it. And so I think that's a great opportunity for either senior pastoral team members might do that, or it could even be pastoral team members that they, they don't even have license yet, but they can be a campus pastor. It can go a lot of different directions in the structure. And until they need their own autonomy, in other words, they're having trouble operating inside of this body, they don't have to separate. Does that answer the question? Um, the structure is very scalable. I have spent a lot of time thinking about the scalability of this structure because I've cast a vision to you all. And I'll talk more about that the last time I preached to you in March. I already have my sermon, my last sermon to you. Is that kind of sad? I hope not, but is it? All right, well, don't start crying yet. You can cry then. But I, I have my last sermon already. It's already, and, and trust me, the, 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 this is meant to set you up that you don't have to do this work again and again. You should be set up for another 50 years. I didn't say you won't have to redo the bylaws. Bylaws really only last about 20 years. You've got to update language. And, but the vision and the structure that fuels that vision, I've tried, to, I've tried to cast this in such a way in the team with me that you're set to go for the future. And then let's see what God will do through us and with us. One question that hasn't arisen tonight, I've been surprised because it has arisen at the ministry team coordinator level and the advisory board level, um, that uh, I will name her since I've been kind of messing with her all night, Sister Susan brought to me, which is how does the team structure work in contrast to, now this is not spelled out in bylaws, but I'm happy to answer it in the whole spectrum of what we're talking about here. How does it work? vis-a-vis -vis pastoral care of you. So you think when you have one pastor, what happens? Well, you come, and that's the pastor that you learn to trust. All of you know I never met with anybody alone. 
Okay, we might do a drive-by by sitting on the front pew here or something like that, but it wasn't very serious. It wasn't very long. Okay, if it was something serious, something in detail, typically what happened is, is I'd use my spouse. Okay, so there were always two of us. As I built the pastoral team, some of you may not realize this, but I began to insist that two of us would meet with you. And there were two purposes for that. Number one is accountability. That way there's not anything inappropriate. And by the way, the idea that inappropriate is just, you know, me meeting with a female, what world are you living in? Appropriateness and accountability needs to be with all peoples. Because I don't assume that somebody who has a same-sex attraction is somehow from the devil and can't go to heaven. And I'm not going to be a stumbling block to them. Just the same way I'm not going to be a stumbling block to a heterosexual female or my wife's not going to be a stumbling block to a heterosexual male. We're not talking about how you conduct yourself. The scriptures are very clear. But what our temptations are, we live in a broken world. So there's two pastoral team members. And that's been happening over the last two, three years. That, that you've, If you haven't run into that, that's what it is. You all know that you have one person that's your primary pastoral care person. And then somebody else from the team will sit in. One's accountability. Two is you get more wisdom. One person's talking to you and the other person's listening. They sometimes, by listening, come up with things and think of things that the person talking can't think of because they're in the middle of it. But the third thing about this is that it also means that it divides the labor. So it means that if I am out of town, if I and one other pastoral team member are sitting and meeting with you and I'm out of town, you're not left hanging when a crisis goes down because another member of the team can step in, which precipitates the question that Sister Susan asked, which is, who all's going to know my business? She didn't say it that way. But we all understand that. We want things to be confidential. So let's go back. When I came back and began pastoring with my dad in 1996, you all didn't know it, but immediately at that point, dad stopped pastoring any new people. Anybody that came to church from that point forward became pastored by me. That's why Sister Leela got stuck. She was the one at the crack because she had come just a few months before and dad had to pastor her because she was so jacked up and had all kinds of issues. Do I speak the truth? Maybe not in love, but I do speak the truth. Anyway, so dad had to pastor her, but then as soon as I got back, maybe because you were also jacked up, I don't know, he dumped you off to me real quick. Everybody else after that, I took new people. He pastored all you what I called affectionately, or not so affectionately, all you old heads. All the ones that been, he pastored you. So Brian and Lynn, you came not too long after that season, okay? And who, who was your pastor? It was me. Dad was around. Dad would preach. Dad, but I was your pastor. I'm the one that you, you never got to dad. If you went and talked to dad, he pointed you over to me. Now, the reason I point that out is, is because we really were working in a two-man team there. And part of what Dad and I operated, and I've taught this team, and they should teach generations to come, is a need-to-know basis. Your information is on a need-to-know basis. If you don't trust a member of the senior pastoral team, don't vote for them. 
But just because they're on the senior pastoral team does not mean that your info is going to them. It's only going to them if they need it to take care of you, to respond to you, to be there for you. Who's going to know it? Your primary pastoral team person. And then if you meet with two pastoral team members, that second one. And that way you are covered, but we don't have to go into all of your business except as needed. Because confidentiality matters. It gives, you, it gives you peace. Did I answer that question sufficiently, Sister Susan? Obviously, I did it a little offline with you as well, but I wanted to make sure. Others, I'm sure, have that as well. Based on what you said uh, a few minutes ago, that you already have your last sermon prepared, does that mean that you have already been given direction from God and that you will be leaving at the end of March slash early April? And if so, where has God directed you? And I have a second question. All right, we're really far afield from the bylaws, but I will answer the question. First of all, yes, I will definitely, that last Sunday, which I think is March 26, will be our last Sunday here. I have very clear direction that that is the timeline. I must get out of the way. Now, I have always had a certain amount of direction of where I was going, to which God has said, leave your hands off of it, I will bring it to pass. Has he brought it to pass yet? No. That's why you see me many times in in church service with my head bowed in submission, being obedient, and terrified because I'm doing something that humanly you never do. You don't shut one door until the other one's open. I'm shutting this door. And I don't know for sure beyond his word to me that the door will be open. The moment that I have clarity with regard to the ultimate place, I promise this congregation, even if I must come back to you with permission of the team, I will let you know. I will communicate to you. I'm not just going to leave you hanging. But there could be a season here where God takes me through a season of total reliance upon him where I am not knowing what's happening. It definitely feels like that now. Now, if I were God, let's be honest, if I were God and I weren't me, of course, God knows everything's going to be okay because he has all power, right? He knows everything, right? I don't have all power and I don't know everything. That's why I'm a nervous wreck. If I were God, I wouldn't be telling me now anyway. I'd just be distracted. I have work to do. Trust me, I still have a lot of work that I'm doing. It's a lot behind the scenes. It's not as much in the pulpit. You're not seeing me in the classroom, but you're, there's a whole lot of business-related and, and structural-related stuff that I'm having to work at. If I were God, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make anything happen until till the first of the year. I might even, just to show off, wait till March. I really hope he doesn't want to show off. So I get it, but to the person asking the question, I would really like to tell you, no, the reason I am so definitive about March 31st is because I have complete clarity about me. Nope, he has told me multiple times, you know how to finish what you're doing here. I will take care of where you're going. So I'm walking in faith, which is terrifying. 
But that's kind of the point of faith, isn't it? Because you can't see and you're hoping. I hope I'm a good model to you all. I might be scaring some of you to death that you'll never walk with God in faith. I hope not. I hope not. Okay? I hope you'll walk with God in faith. I think I answered that. Now, was there a second question? Okay. Oh, there's three more. Oh, boy. Here we go. I was wondering if I could uh, prioritize them, but I'll just go in order. How and when would the church elect additional senior pastors after the initial senior pastors are selected? And uh, that'll put us back in, in our topic for tonight. So what happens is, is that, first of all, that is, happens under the leadership and the direction of the senior pastoral team. So as the church grows, the senior pastoral team will come to you saying, hey, we need to grow this team. All right? And the way that they will do that is by nomination. So you notice that, and now i got to find it. Forgive me for this. This will take me a second because this is a little bit more detailed. You notice Article 3, Section 5, Subsection 1 says, it will consist of at least three but not more than 11 licensed or ordained ministers. You have the duties. You have the, um, the authority of the team. I got to go up to Article 3, Section 3, Subsection 1. And then there's a sub subsection. 1A A candidate for the senior pastoral team will be nominated by the existing senior pastoral team. So the way that a member, someone becomes a member of the senior pastoral team, it must start by a nomination from the existing senior pastoral team. 1B, upon resignation, death, or termination of an existing senior pastoral team member, the remaining senior pastoral team members will determine if a replacement is needed. Now, notice it can't go below three. That's the minimum number, and that's, you can't have a team if you got less than three, really. Okay? You got something else. You don't have a team. If so, the candidate will be nominated by the existing senior pastoral team. The candidate will then be presented to the congregation for approval. Obviously, death or termination is something you don't have control. Resignation, I would hope that any of the team members, the initial team members, would plan like I have planned and don't just jet. So there's a process. There's a timing of it that they would stay, fulfill their role until replacement could be had if it was needed. Now, if the team had grown to 10 and the team looked at it and went, we're not in a crisis. And so we send, you know, Desi and Rachel off and, and we went from 10 to 8, but we're still okay. We have to adjust, but we're okay. And let's, then maybe there wouldn't be any nomination. But if it was four and two were leaving, you got to have at least one to bring that number to, of three. So it would come by the nomination and then by the vote of the congregation. Now, could the congregation say we, we feel there needs to be more? Sure you can. That's what your annual business means for. You can make a motion on the floor. Now, you can't be timid like Sister Susan back there. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to speak up. She's not timid either. That's what cracks me up. Biker chick back there. That ain't a timid lady. She's just being, she's just being demure tonight. Um, no, you have to speak up. But you have the authority to speak up. 
But I would by default, to answer the question, I would by default defer to those who are responsible about how it is going and what is needed. Just as you all deferred to when my dad before me and myself following how we grew leadership. Can we choose who we meet with when we need help? Because one person might feel more comfortable with a certain person, ergo personality or sensitive issue. Yes and no. Now, the team may be a lot nicer to you than I am. I'm looking at you going, if they're your senior pastoral team member, you need to trust them. And if you don't know them, get to know them. Because that's what you would have with a single pastor anyway. You wouldn't get to pick another pastor if you didn't like me. Okay, you by definition are going to have two people meeting with you as well. So if there's a person that you do feel comfortable with, even if they're not your primary pastoral care person, you could request that that person be in that meeting as well. But your goal as members of the congregation, you want to get to know and trust every member of the senior pastoral team. You know why? Because now every one of them can speak into your life and you are that much stronger for all of those voices of wisdom and eldership into your spiritual walk. It's to your benefit, not to ours. So there will be a little bit of resistance of you picking and choosing because that can turn into a popularity contest. But you still are going to have two team members, so you can always voice your request. And then many times it won't even be us saying yes or no. It will be a matter of schedule. It's just a matter of availability. How responsive are you needing? How quick is the crisis or the problem that you're dealing with? Who's best suited? You might think one person's better suited, and it's actually another team member that would catch you by surprise, but they actually are better at, at meeting that particular need in your life. When you say you're out of here, does that mean you will no longer do any pastoral duties, or does that mean you will leave altogether? It means I'm done. It means that I will no longer have office. I will no longer have authority. I will no longer have responsibility. Now, that does not mean I'm leaving you in the sense that I don't love you and I don't care for you. It also does not mean that just like many other people, that you can't have me back, but that needs to operate just the way that it, anybody else who you, you know, when you love to have Brother Peyton or when my mom and, and dad-in-law, you know, lived in Bartlesville, you know, that we, we would have them in. It's not a matter of that, but I don't have any office, I don't have any responsibility, and I don't have any authority. And it's important that this break happen. There's two reasons. Number one is my calling. You don't want me fulfilling a role that God is no longer anointing me for. Trust me, there are days that I don't like God any more than you do. I love you. I love this place. I am a child of this place. I'm a son of this church. This was not what I asked God for. But I also have learned over the years the only way this works is if God is empowering you. And when God says, I'm not empowering you anymore in that, then you best heed that voice. So that's number one. Number two is I need to go to where I need to go. I need to do my journey. Number three, this church is what it is because of the Beardsley family. 
and this church will not become what it is meant to be because of the Beardsley family. The very thing that has gifted you is now the thing that will constrain you. So because I am a Beardsley, I'm breaking that. And I mean this very sincerely and very honestly, but that's what mom and dad are struggling with because they can't wrap their brain around that. Heaven, heaven will sort all that out. That's correct. We will not be attending here. That's, I'm in a panic. I'm like, oh, God, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? I mean, no, I will not be watching online. I will be, I have to distance. I have to back out because here's the problem. <laughs> I still, okay, in my personality, I am one opinionated cuss to start with. Second, I've been pastoring this place for a long time. There is not an if, an and, or a but about what I think should happen here. I know that sounds arrogant, but think about it. I've been pastoring here a long time. Brother Moss, in his own ways, tried to say it. If I were in charge, I'd be making certain decisions, and he wouldn't be having any problem making those decisions. But that's exactly why I have to step back, because God has said, I'm not with you anymore in those decisions. I might be right on some of them, but I'm definitely going to be wrong on other ones. So I have to step back, not only to step into where I'm going, that's about me, but also to set loose what is happening here. That's why I'm working this process so that there is a transition and a handoff that is smooth, that you are cared for, that you are secure, but that you are free to go forward to where God is taking you because I'm going to hamper you. And that was hard for me to hear. That's why I begged him. I said, God, can't I see it? Nope, you cannot. Only from afar. I don't know if that's about my personality. Might be. I don't know that that applies to everybody, but I know it applies to me. So, when I first started this conversation with you all, you notice I didn't tell you an exact date because I didn't know one. I now know March 31st. I'm done. Not because I'm quitting, not because I abandon you, but because God has been very clear, I'm with you till then. Now, you all vote this down. You can put yourself in limbo because I'll have to stay for legal and fiduciary reasons, but I'm not anointed. I didn't say I will hurt you, but I'm not anointed. So you need to pray and discern. If it's the wrong way to go, then it's because not you're holding on to me. It's because you think there should be still a single pastor rather than a team. Regardless, I have to transition out. Don't make this about me, even though I know that's very front and center for most of us, including myself. Is there more? Oh. How is an individual's pastoral care persons determined? Is it alphabetical? To my knowledge, it's totally random. <laughs> 
It's just all mixed up. And part of it is, is that as new people come in, then based upon just workload spread out across the team, they get assigned to somebody who then begins to pay attention, check on whether they're attending, begins to tune in, begins to pray for them, begins to be sensitive to their needs, etc. So it really is, I think, even, even if there's a certain amount of organization when we first started with it, it really is largely random. Because again, our starting premise is, is that any member of the senior pastoral team can care for you. Is there more? Okay. Any of these questions prompt questions from all of you. There's kind of a give and take from the online to the, to the in-person. I think that I, from my perspective, I have emphasized the points that I would want you to recognize specifically out of Article 3. Um, in many ways, what I have said to you is still true. You're taking one and replacing with a team. Everything else is the mechanics of how that interfaces with the rest of the structure, whether it be the congregation, whether it be the advisory board, whether it be the board of trustees, etc. Ooh, Sister Lynn's got a question for me. Um, I just wanted to be clear about this. So if the senior pastoral team wants to choose someone to be on the pastoral team, they can choose someone to be on the pastoral team. But if then they think, hey, this would be a good senior pastoral team member, they have to bring them before the congregation to be voted into that role. That is correct. And the reason is, is the senior pastoral team is an officer. And an officer has to be elected by the congregation. And of course, there are qualifications that are different for the pastoral team than there are for the senior pastoral team. Now, hopefully, what will happen is, is that, that pastoral team, which is what I have done, is how you prepare and vet those prospective people that, that show gifts and talents. And that's why in this weird little season, you see a lot of things happening right now. We're not trying to force your hand, but we're trying to at the same time give you the opportunity before you vote on these individuals that you see them operating in a manner that you go, okay, they can do this job. They can step into this role. Well, the only way that works is if I step out. So conversations around the well. That was a tough one. I looked at the team and said, do you want me there? And they said, no, we do not want you there. I went, oh. One side of me went, okay, they're ready. Another side of me went, I don't like this. This don't feel good. Transitions are hard. Brother Wade. Um, Brother Stephen, um, when you step down as pastor, will you be still ministering or you would go do evangelist work? First of all, Every single one of us, and I believe this more today than I have ever believed it in my life, every single one of us as members of the body do the work of the ministry. So at the very least, as a member of the body, 
I do the work of the ministry. I have no intention of turning in my license. I do not think that my time as a minister of the gospel in that more formal sense is over. Where and in what form I have things he said to me that I am hoping and believing in by faith, but I don't have concrete yet. And what form that takes, that is what is unfolding across the next seven months to a year. I wish I had something concrete. I've told him it would make more sense to all of you if I could come in and say, on March 31st, the next week, I'll be doing this and then this and then this, to which the king has basically said nothing because it's his kingdom and he doesn't really care. (laughs) He cares about me, he cares about you, but he's going to do his will. And so I trust that he is birthing in me just as he's birthing in each of you the image of his son. And the methods by which he does that, I'm going to trust him. I'm scared, but I'm going to trust him. Um, do I go and preach wherever somebody invites me to preach? Absolutely. If I, unless I feel checked by the Spirit or that. So that part of it is, as you've seen me travel some, some of it I'm with family. I see you, Sister Jennifer. Some of it I'm with family. Uh, but a lot of it is I'll get invite someplace, and so I take that opportunity. I go and do that. But the ultimate form of where I'm going to go, I don't have that yet. All of you, I, I love you dearly. You're very respectfully wanting to make sure I'm okay, and I appreciate that. We're all going to have to trust that if God doesn't take care of me, I'm not okay, and that's going to be his business. But I have taught you for years that he is a good God, and he will take care of us. And so I think I, I got I to own up to my words now. It's one thing to preach it from that pulpit to you all, and then it's another thing to live it out. I'm trying to live it out. Another question. So for the um, pastoral team replacement, I just want to mention that if we can't find someone among us, we're still in the United Pentecostal Church, so we could ask for replacement from the headquarters and stuff like that. That So just to let them know we're not moving. That is correct. Thank you for bringing that up. We are still an affiliated church. So if you needed to, oh, you created space. I wondered what you were doing. Antoine's like moving the chair. I'm like, what's he doing? Thought you needed more space. I apologize, Antoine. For those of you online, Antoine just took care of me, gave me space around the camera, and I went the other direction and ignored him totally. My apologies, sir. Yeah, I, I apologize. Um, so we are still, this is a point, we are still an affiliated church, which means we at any point have the right to draw upon the resources of the, both the district and the national level. Also, the senior pastoral team, as they engage in this role, now the movement's going to take a little while to figure out what to do because they're all going to want to know, okay, okay, there's a whole team, but who's really in charge? It, depend, it depends on which way you look at it. Depends on which angle, which prism, which part are you looking at. And so what will happen is it will take some time for them to adjust to that. But as that happens, relationships will build. How do you think Megan Arash got here? I know God directed them. I know they prayed. But it also, they got here because I taught them. I had relationship with them. 
and the door opened for them. How do you think Desi and Rachel got here? So you're exactly right that not only can we formally appeal, but also I believe God's going to direct. And so that both there's growth from within and there can be, as he sees fit, direction from without. So I take from the tenor of your comment that you're basically saying to all of us, don't be in a panic about this. God will provide for us, and we have a number of avenues with regard to that. And I agree, and that's part of why holding licensed credentials with the United Pentecostal Church is both a constraint in a positive sense, but it also it's an open door. So that's a very, thank you for that, because that, that is accurate. I agree 100% with regard to that. Absolutely. Any other comments or questions? I don't want to belabor it. We are at 750. I don't want to belabor it. You will have, this is going to be weird too, on a non-bylaw side of things that I'll address. You will have three of my children in one way or another still active with you, at least for a season. Vincent has chosen. His time has allowed him. He loves to teach, and he loves Newark, so he is very active in his church in Columbus, Ohio, but he also continues, as you all know, to teach and to help write curriculum in our small groups. And uh, he, when I tell him that he needs to slow down on that, he basically ignores me and says, mind your own business, Dad. So, okay, so I, I, I understand, and I did a lot when I was young, too. My wife and I have looked at one another and said, we don't know how we did it, but we did it. We did a lot. So I'm not going to hold my child back from that. He still Sabbaths and still is very active in his local church there in Columbus. So you will see him involved. And, of course, Caleb has two more years um, at University of Delaware after that. There'll be some, some transitions possible. Marcus has four years, so Marcus is here with you for four years. Um, and so they, there are no plans. Brother and Sister Moss have been very clear that they're going to stay here locally no matter where their daughter and I go wandering off to. Um, they're, they're not wandering again. Done it once, not doing it again. Um, but So the boys will be staying there. Um, but the girls at this point are, are with Regina and I, and so as we kind of make our transition, they will transition with us. And so that will be a little tough too, and that's a little bit of a challenge. Um, but I, I, Regina and I both feel comfortable, and, and it's been a good time. Not that we got rid of the boys, but the boys seem to enjoy their space. Um, everything I get from every one of them is we are happy that we don't live under Dad's roof directly. They are still happy to swipe my credit card, but I get pictures all the time of receipts. I mean, just get a receipt, you know. I have no control over the amount, where it's spent, whatever, just these pictures. Anyway, no, I, my boys are doing fine. I think it's been healthy for them. They're doing well, and I think it's actually, it wasn't what I planned, but I think it's actually serving well. And the girls and I are, and, and Regina and I are, are having a good time as well. It's a different scenario having just two girls. But they're happy. Regina and I are happy. We're doing okay with that. So they will be hanging with us in that transition as well. Uh, I saw another question over here as we're drawing to a close. Uh, this concerns the... Um pastoral team 
um, when the pastoral, someone that is on the pastoral team gets ready, they feel like they want to be a part of this uh, senior pastoral team. How does that come about? Do they get nominated or asked to serve, or do they they volunteer, or is it a mutual consideration? Um, some of you may be more privy to this, but in any process of growth within God, there is both a communication of what God is stirring within your individual heart, and then there is within leadership under which you are operating, there is a, a, an alignment of that. So I'm going to use an example. Leela had no idea that I was looking for an executive assistant. None. I was doing a national search. I actually was looking at, a, at an executive assistant that was at our world headquarters in St. Louis that I knew. I was looking at a young lady that I'd worked with at Urshan Graduate School. Leela wrote me an email and said, I cannot do this any longer. I don't know what's going to happen, but I can't just stay where I'm at. I can't just work at Christiana. I've got to make a move. Please pray with me. Spirit was already working with me about a need. Meanwhile, he's working with her. So on the one hand, moving from discipleship into leadership, into service, all of these kinds of things, it's a, it's a two-part conversation, if you will. Nobody comes and nominates themselves. The senior pastoral team has to choose and has to be led by the Spirit. However, if they're pastoring you well, which I have confidence that they will, they're going to know where you're at. They're going to know that you're disturbed. They're going to know that God is, is disturbing your nest, is causing you to be agitated from one place to growth in another place. But the formal, the answer to your question, the formal process is no. Nobody's nominating themselves. Nobody's applying. It is a senior pastoral team, as they are looking at the vision and the structure of the overall church, is determining movement and, and, and as Paul would put it, appointing of elders, whether it be ministry team coordinators, whether it be pastoral team members, or whether it, in fact, be the senior pastoral team. Was there another question that arose? With the expected structure change, will there be any more possible daughter works coming out of our congregation? Absolutely. Absolutely. But they will be much more organically birthed. And what I mean by that is, is first, instead of immediately creating separation and creating these artificial burdens that we even with, with dad and I's structure was still, there was this cliff. The first thing that would happen is, is a person who feels that call or that begins to work within small groups. From small groups, they begin to help plan a separate campus. Then the question becomes, does that campus stay connected? There's nothing that precludes that a campus can't grow to a church that is what others would call an autonomous church. Why does it have to separate? Well, there would need to be reasons. 
If there are reasons, then you birth it. And there's where you have your daughter work. You have, you have that next work that's, that's birthed. But in my mind, there's a lot of overhead stuff that is a burden to pastors. It distracts them away from the work of the gospel, accounting, legal, administration, things that can be consolidated and done efficiently by those gifted from a mother church that then leaves that campus pastor more focused upon evangelism, discipleship, and pastoral care. But ultimately, I think God will be able to direct not only the senior pastoral team, but that individual campus pastor or individual daughter work church pastor as to what those steps are. If he can tell me to leave Newark, he can handle that. Do you guys understand how committed I am to this place? you understand how deep my roots are? If he can tell me that my time is done here and I hear him and be obedient to him, he can, he can speak those words. So the plan is, is absolutely that we multiply in order to reach souls, which is what the biblical model gave us. The team structure sets us up to do it even better, which I think the question understands that, that the team structure actually sets us up to do that even better. In reference to uh, Sister Jennifer's question, if we did have someone come from uh, headquarters of the UPC, um, would they have to be a member of this church for a year in good standing before they could be a part of the senior pastoral team? No. And here's why. There's two ways that you can be eligible to become an officer. One, hold license with the United Pentecostal Church. Or two, be a member of this congregation in good standing for one year. Now, as a default, I would recommend, unless there are reasons that occasion otherwise, that if somebody's coming from outside, bring them into the pastoral team first. Let them get acclimated. Let them get used to the people. Let you get used to them. And then advance them. In my mind, that is the more prudent way for them and for you, the congregation, and for them, the minister. And notice, this has nothing to do with compensation, not compensation. It's not even, it, it doesn't matter. It's a matter of what role are they coming into. Um, because if you're coming from elsewhere, it's like moving into a new family. If I moved into Brian and Lynn's house, I'm sure we would get along, but it'd take a little bit of time. Brian's like, you ain't moving in. That's fine, bro. I don't want to live with you anyway. I love you, but I don't want to live with you. Okay, the point is, is that we, yeah, there's customs, there's, there's, there's culture, there's, there's, there's things that take time to acclimate to. So if it's somebody from outside, um, that's why I think also the maintaining of a pastoral team is a great spot. You, don't, you, haven't had to, you haven't had to make them an officer. You haven't had to, but you've given them opportunity to, to serve in a pastoral role. And it lets them acclimate to the congregation, acclimate to them. All right. So tying a bow on it. 
I will now take this draft of the bylaws in September, this month. I will meet with the ministry team coordinators. No, I won't. I will meet with you in October. Excuse me. It's not this month. It's in October. I meet with the ministry team coordinators, and we will go over the last articles of the bylaws and the articles of incorporation. In November, I will meet with the advisory board and go over the same thing. Across October and November, our Delaware lawyer will vet the entire documents. We will then meet December 11th, and I anticipate that that meeting could either be very, very short, or it might actually be a little longer for people who missed tonight or who have now seen the whole picture had some questions arise. Either way, we'll do it following the potluck and our giving service. We will vet it, and then that will lock it in. That will be our proposed set of bylaws to be looked at and voted yay or nay on the first Sunday in March. So that's our process in front of us. If this process has seemed more drawn out than what you think is necessary, I agree we could have done it faster. But I felt that there was a risk that if we did it faster, there could be some who were more deliberate in their thought process that would have felt rushed. And I would rather that all of you go, I wish he had gone faster than that any of you would say, I felt rushed and left behind. So that by the time we reach January, the months of January and February can be a time of prayer and discernment, and then when we step into that first Sunday in March, we will vote our conscience and we'll trust that the Spirit is operating through us and we'll know where to go. Okay? Again, any questions that come up, I'm happy to answer questions offline. The main reason I want to do them in this way is because everybody gets to hear them. You heard how it went. You asked a question here, and then online suddenly has a question because questions beget questions, and that's part of this process. I know it feels slow at times or it's kind of quiet, or, but notice how much questions did arise from what looked to be a totally quiet audience and yet there were lots of questions because we ping off of one another. So that's the process. Thank you for your time and your attention. I don't want to take you any further. In fact, I'm three minutes over. And so why don't we stand? Those of you that are online, thank you for attending. Thank you for participating as well. Those of you that are watching this later, if there's a question we haven't answered, get a hold of me. I will answer that question. If I don't know the answer, I will get the answer for you. And the rest of you, Let's have a great week in Jesus. Let's thank him for his, his presence here tonight. Can we do that? Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to serve you. God, lead and guide our steps. We're counting on it that you will do as you promised. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for their faithfulness. I thank you, Lord, for their engagement, Lord. And God, as we continue to walk with you, lead and guide our paths. Be with us this week and let your light shine out from us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And would everybody join with me in a big old Amen. God bless you folks. Good night.